Well, this morning we're going to finish the Easter series we've been looking at on and look at the, the Great Commission. Uh, so if you've got a Bible with you, uh, let's have a little look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. If you're wondering why I'm behind the screen, it's because my wife has COVID. Um, I took a test this morning, so again, I'm negative. So we're in Matthew 28 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. <clears throat> then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want us to start this morning by asking a couple of questions. These were a couple of questions uh, that came to my mind um, just as it came to this passage. This command in the passage to make disciples of all nations, to spread the good news of the gospel. Was this a command just for the 11 disciples at the time? Or is this a command for us today? In other words, if someone was to come up to you as a believer and say, look, I don't believe that the Great Commission applies today, could you show them from your Bible why it does apply, why we have a duty as believers to share the gospel? Maybe, maybe you might think as you read this passage that this command is just for the 11 disciples. After all, Jesus has chosen this moment on a mountain to speak with his 11 disciples and given them these instructions. This is the group of people, remember, that he's told will be fishers of men in Matthew 4, verse 19. And in John 20 and 21, we read Jesus' words which says, The Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. So you might easily think that the Great Commission just applies to the 11 disciples, that it was an instruction for their time in their situation. I don't know if you've ever read a book before and you've got a little bit unsettled as you've read it and you've just peeked to the very back to see how the book finishes. I see Margaret Norton. And, uh, and you, read the, you read the last page and then you go back and that settles your mind. When I was a wee boy, I used to read the Goosebumps books don't know if you've ever heard of those. They're, they're quite, a, quite a scary book. And as I was a wee lad, maybe at his age, I used to, to read these books. And I'd get scared out of my wits. And I'd read about 20 pages. I'd get scared. I'd peek to the back, read the last page, and then go back. And that would settle me. I could read the rest of the story then. Well, in order to answer these questions about whether the Great Commission applies to every believer, you have to look at the last verse the last chapter in Matthew, verse 20, that we've just read. Surely I am with you always. And then Jesus tells us how long this will last for, to the end of the age. So the task that Jesus has led out of making disciples, of sharing the gospel, isn't just for the disciples, because Jesus has said that it'll last to the end of the age, to the end of time. Now, this line obviously couldn't have applied to the disciples because there came a point in time when those 11 disciples died. But this, this command must apply to a group of people that have lived outside of the disciples' time, us, 
the church. And Jesus is saying that he's with his people, his church, forever. And it's our job now, in our situation, to share the gospel. And the second reason that this Great Commission is for all believers is because that's the, what the rest of the Bible teaches. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it instructs all believers to declare Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into light. The New Testament teaches that if you are a Christian, you have a duty to fulfill, to share this wonderful news of the gospel. And it is wonderful news. It is wonderful news. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Such was the urge that Paul had to share it. So although the commission is spoken to by Jesus to his 11 disciples, this command is for you today in church, if you're a believer. As I was reading this passage, there were four all statements that I thought would be helpful to look at so we can see what the Great Commission looks like. In verse 18, we read, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The story is told of a man in the United States, and he was quite a wealthy businessman, and he stayed in an hotel. And he got a, a, an awful night's sleep because there were phones going off and um, there were an awful lot of loud noises. And he came down the next morning and he was a grumpy boy. We've all been there. And he went up to the receptionist and he kicked off. And he said, it's completely unacceptable. And he ranted on for a bit and the receptionist listened patiently. And then the receptionist apologized. Well, aren't you going to do something about it, the man said. Well, the receptionist replied, I can't. I'm only authorized to apologize. You see, the receptionist didn't have any real power. The receptionist couldn't fix the man's problem. She couldn't move him to another room. She couldn't even solve the noise problem. She didn't have any power whatsoever. She could only apologize. But here in verse 18, the opposite's true. We have Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here is someone who is ultimate authority. This is the one who spoke creation itself into being, the one who creation worships. This is the one who at one word could heal. This isn't someone with power. This is someone with complete power. And this isn't someone with just authority. This is someone with the ultimate authority. This is the one who over Easter we've been learning about, the one who conquered the grave itself. Such was his authority. And at his word, the dead are raised. All authority belongs exclusively to him. Jesus is the ultimate authority in teaching, in healing, in forgiving sin, and even over Satan himself. Earlier in the story of, of the cross, Jesus is in front of Pilate, and Jesus says these words, You would have no power over me if it weren't given to you from someone else. Any authority Pilate had to crucify Jesus had been given to him. By someone else. It was a delegated authority. But Jesus always had all authority. So why does Jesus start this great commission, this command to share the gospel and make disciples? Why does he start the great commission with these words? All authority has been given to me, so go. Why does Jesus start like this? 
And the way it's phrased is like a commander in the army. Before the commander gives the order, he reminds the private lowly soldier of the rank that he has. I have all authority, so go. Because Jesus is the authority, he can send whoever he wants to, to do whatever he pleases. Because he has all authority, the disciples didn't need to fear. They've already witnessed his authority over all things. They've witnessed his authority over creation and over death itself. Compare this with what's happened earlier in the book of Matthew. The chief priests, they use use bribe money to bribe the soldiers to to tell the soldiers that the disciples have stolen Jesus' body in the middle of the night. The, the, uh, The chief priests commission the soldiers to spread lies by using money. But the resurrected Jesus, he didn't need to use money or bribes. He used the promise of his power and the promise of his presence to commission his disciples to spread the gospel. Let's move on to the second all statement. The commander, the leader of the church, has stated that he's all authority. What does he tell us in verse 19 to do? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it wonderful that this is a command for the disciples to spread the gospel to all nations? You see, the disciples obeyed this command and they took the good news to other countries. And we sit here today because of it. In Galatians 3 verse 28, we read that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ. The disciples went beyond their Jewish friends. They went beyond their sphere of influence and took the message, this good news, outside of their own nation to others because they realized that the old divisions of Jew and Greek didn't matter anymore. So this command to go and make disciples of all nations, has God commanded every believer sat here this morning to take the gospel to another nation that isn't your own? Has he commanded you sat here this morning to move to a different country in order to reach the all nations? Well, he might have called you, or he might be calling you to go somewhere. But not every believer needs to move across the world to make disciples of all nations. In fact, the Apostle Paul, if you were to turn to Romans 15, it shows that the command to go to a different country to share the gospel isn't for everyone. In Romans 15, Paul is recruiting people from Rome not to go with them to Spain on his missionary journey. Paul is wanting them to support him as he goes to Spain. God might be calling someone here to spread the good news of the gospel to other nations, but he hasn't called all his people here to go to all nations, but he has most definitely called you to share the gospel in your home village. And he's also called you to support missionary organizations that do go to all nations. As a church, we financially support organizations like Kerry Ministries, and they exist to train leaders in churches across the world, in countries like Mongolia and Cuba and Nepal and China. As a church, we do that. But as an individual, are you willing to put your resources at the disposal of the master for the sake of the kingdom? 
Are you willing to support the local church financially in order to let it spread the gospel? Are you willing to support missionaries that work in other areas of the world? If only I had more money, then I would give more money to the church and missionary organizations. Ah, but the rise in energy prices means that I can't give as much money as I'd like to. Yep, you're probably like us. You have to cut back a bit on your spending. But I would argue that giving to God's work shouldn't be part of that. It's like when you finish your dinner, and you're maybe like me, and you stuff yourself silly, and you eat and you eat and you eat, and you have seconds and thirds, and you say you're full, and then dessert comes out. And you realize you've got a whole separate stomach just for dessert. Maybe that's just me, but obviously not. <laughs> well, when we're given to God's work, that should be a whole separate thing. When we realize that everything we have comes from God anyway, so giving something back is the least that we can do. It, I argue that it should be a completely separate budget. Are you willing to use the money he's given you for the making of disciples? What are you doing to fulfill the duty that Jesus has placed on you if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's put it another way. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Was it last week? Last month? Six months ago? Last year? How are we fulfilling the command to go? I'm not sure about you, but often I make the excuse if only my circumstances were different. If only I was braver, then I would share the gospel more. We all do it. If only I had more time to spend with people, then I would spend that time witnessing for Christ. If only I had more non-Christian friends, then I'd be faithful in my witness to those non-Christian friends. If only I worked somewhere different where the people actually cared about God or expressed some sort of interest. But here's the thing. God has given us the jobs we have for a reason. He's given us the family we have for a reason. He's put us where we're at for reason. And still we're commanded to make disciples. Still we're commanded to share the good news of the gospel. Now it's easy to get overwhelmed. I find it too. It's easy to get overwhelmed trying to balance all these things. I don't believe Jesus' command to make disciples is there to pile on guilt and hardship. It's not something that isn't achievable. It's a command that he asks us to obey in the circumstances that he's placed us in, that we be a faithful witness for him. So as you put your child to bed at night, as you read a story to the kids upstairs in creche, as you teach in front of a classroom, as you answer the phone in a call center, in those circumstances, the Lord Jesus Christ has asked you to be a faithful witness. There's no point wishing that your circumstances were different so that you could glorify God more. Where we're at, where he's placed us, be a witness. And in the power of Christ, be as faithful a witness as you can be. Don't try to limit God by thinking that he can't use you where you're at. He can most definitely use you where you're at. In the circumstances you have to share the gospel and make disciples. Let's move on to our third old statement. It's in verse 20. It reads, And teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. All things 
Before going any further, I believe that verse 19 about baptism is an outworking of verse 20. When a believer gets baptized, they're obeying God. Verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When baptism is mentioned in the Bible, it follows repentance. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've turned your back on your sin. Then this is a command from the Bible to fulfill. Get baptized. Doesn't say how much time should go by. I was saved when I was 11 and baptized when I was 18. But the Bible suggests that it should be pretty soon afterwards, probably quicker than I got baptized. So if you're thinking about it, why not chat to an elder about baptism? So how do we teach people to obey all things he's commanded us? How do we do that? I don't know about you, but I, lo I love the, the book of Titus, this little book in the New Testament that's got so much packed in. I think it's one of those little gems. Well, Titus chapter 2 outlines some, some wonderful principles about teaching each other to obey God's commands. And here the Apostle Paul says that Titus is to teach the older men to be self-controlled and loving, but he's also expected to teach the older women to be, to be reverent. But the pattern that's led out in Titus 2 is that the older women and older men teach the younger women and younger men. But when it, when it says in that passage, that term older, it does, it's not referring to age. It literally means the more spiritually mature. So the pattern in Titus 2 is that the spiritually mature man and woman should be teaching the less spiritually mature man or woman. And it's a double-sided coin where the spiritually mature person teaches the less spiritually mature person, but they in turn get taught by someone else. So for example, I might teach someone new in the faith, some basics, but I in turn get taught by someone who's more spiritually mature than me, people like Andrew and Frank and Jean. So back to our passage in Matthew 28 and 20, when it says to teach them to obey all things I've commanded you, it's saying that we have a responsibility as a church, as a whole. That responsibility doesn't just rest with the pastor and the elders. That responsibility rests with you as well. We obey Jesus and teach others to do the same by living out what he's commanded us in his word. Now, how, how you teach others could be in a structured group. It could be like Frank in his Friday night Bible study. But I once heard a conference speaker, was um, one of, I don't know if you've ever heard of Derek Prime before, but it's one of Derek Prime's sons, I think his name was Johnny. And he said the way his mom fulfilled this command to teach others was that she would invite younger women into her home. And as she did the ironing for six kids, she would be speaking scripture into those younger women's lives. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't even need to be structured. We just need to be doing it. We need to be building each other up in the faith and teaching and encouraging each other to obey God. Strengthening, strengthening each other up as disciples in the risen Lord. So I'd encourage you to do that. When God blesses you with an encouragement from his word, share it with someone else. If, a, if God uses a brother or a sister to challenge you about something in your life, 
that isn't right, then sort it out. If there's a brother or sister offers to spend a bit of time with you, maybe going on a walk or whatever, use that as an opportunity to build each other up, teaching each other to obey all things he has commanded us. Let's move on to the fourth all statement in verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, lest his disciples become overwhelmed with the size of their mission, lest we as God's people become completely overwhelmed with the size of our mission to share the gospel and make disciples. Jesus closes with a promise. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The one who even before his birth was called Emmanuel, which means God with us, now promises to be with his disciples all the days to come, even to the end of time. As I was preparing this message, I'm nearly finished. As I was preparing this message, I kept coming across Ephesians 6. Many of you will know about Ephesians 6, where it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. It talks about putting on the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the breastplate of righteousness. And as I moved down and read through that chapter, Paul stops talking about the armor of God, and at the end of the, the chapter, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I declare it fearlessly as I should. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Now, here's the Apostle Paul, the man who was shipwrecked three times, the guy who was beaten with rods, the one who was stoned and left for dead for the cause of the gospel, one of the most outspoken and fearless preachers that you could possibly meet. And he was in prison. He was in chains. And tradition tells us that he was in chains and he'd have one Roman soldier on one side and another Roman soldier on the other. Those circumstances aren't great for sharing the gospel, are they? But he's got two people that he can share the gospel with. And do you know what the Apostle Paul asks for? He asks that people pray that he boldly preaches the gospel. I don't know about you, but that fills me with confidence. Paul asking for prayer so that he can fearlessly preach the gospel tells us three important things. He realizes he can't share the gospel clearly without the power of the Holy Spirit. He can't share the gospel clearly without the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, he humbly realizes that he needs other people praying for him so that he can share the gospel. And even Paul himself is worried that he won't preach the gospel fearlessly. And if we are to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're to share the gospel and make disciples, then we need to realize these three things. We can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be led as to who to talk to and what to say. We need to humbly realize that we need other people praying for us so that we can share the gospel as we should. And we need God's help if we're to declare it fearlessly. Jesus promises he is always with us. And in that prison, he was there with Paul. Ultimately, we cannot do anything. In Silksworth, you'd say you cannot do out. You cannot do out without 
Jesus. And he knows that. That's why he starts by reminding us of who he is. When we're, when we're fearful, when we're lost for words, let's pray that God brings to our minds the words of his son. who said that he'd be with us always, even to the end of the age. And let us rest on nothing of ourselves, but all of Jesus for the strength to go. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, once famously said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. This isn't a request from God. It's a command. And we're commanded to fill it. Remember what these disciples were like at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. They ran away, didn't they? These were ordinary blokes. They were proud, they were boastful, they were selfish, they were self-centered. These weren't great men of faith. And yet Acts 17.6 says that through them, God turned the world upside down. It's not a proud thing to say that if God can use the disciples, then he can use us. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are the same with our own sinful nature, where we're under Christ. So if God can use the disciples, then he can use us. Let's pray. Father, you've set before us a task to accomplish. You've set before us a command to obey. Well, Lord, we thank you that you've equipped us. And our greatest ability that we have before you is our availability. It doesn't matter whether we're capable or not. If you've called us to share the gospel, then you'll make us capable. Lord, I pray that you would make us available so that we fulfill this great command to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, that the people on our doorstep would be the first people that we share the gospel with. That you'd help us to fulfill what you have told us to do. In Jesus' name.